0: Welcome to the Two Year Bible, custom designed Two-Year Bible, custom-designed to your Bible reading plan and a weekly podcast by myself, Chris Case, pastor of A Church, and I'm here with Sarah Pasquale, our executive director. Hey there. And so, welcome uh, to the downward spiral that is the split kingdom and uh, everything we're going to encounter, but we're not quite there yet. We start this week with a little bit of Solomon before everything starts going crazy.
1: Yeah, Solomon did a lot, and I think what what this author emphasizes in Chronicles is that most of what he did was good and God definitely blessed Israel, but the author does make sure to point out a few things emphasizing that Solomon's heart was not, it was divided. It was not fully toward God.
0: Yeah. And Solomon did amazing things like for the kingdom in terms of infrastructure and building things. But let's not forget historically, someone like King Herod also did a ton of things for Israel and infrastructure and also had a lot of wealth. And so, um, certainly I don't think Solomon's, Portrayed the same way that King Herod will be in the New Testament, but um, there shouldn't just be well. He, this is all blessing and it's always good uh, because historically that's not always true of the people that build a bunch of infrastructure and make things work for the for the for the nation per se. Yeah. So um, yeah, and and Solomon marries this foreign woman and has a baby or uh, wants to put her up in 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 a house, but for whatever reason, because this ark has been in the building before, he uh, he seems to um, think that she can't stay there, which is such a weird little story. It's like uh, he he has some sort of superstitious almost feel to the Ark as if it has some sort of lingering holiness, even though it's not there anymore. It's it's peculiar um, in how Solomon thinks about it.
1: Yeah. And again, I feel like a big emphasis with Solomon is this idea of being divided. And so you see him trying to divide the sacred and the secular in his life, which we should not divide as worshipers of Yahweh.
0: Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's peculiar. But we see the Queen of Sheba story again. Uh, It's very, very similar to last week's reading. It's not too much different. Um, And so Solomon's wealth, Solomon's power seems to wow her, his wisdom. Uh, There's even the mention of the 666 talents again. Mm -hmm. Um, And so all that is repeated.
1: Yeah, and it talks about his slaves and it just kind of throws me like, if, if Solomon is so wealthy, if he is so rich, why does he force enslavement? I mean, he could pay them. Yeah. And still be the wealthiest ever.
0: (laughs) It's true. It's questionable. And Solomon dies and it's very non, um, there's, there's not a lot of fanfare to Solomon's death. Um, and so, yeah. And eventually Rehoboam, his son takes over And um, we're starting to see I think uh, some of the storytelling between North and South and we'll see this as the stories continue uh, just because uh, the the kingdoms will be divided from here on out and their storytelling will be divided.
1: Yeah and if you get confused about names and people and where they're from just like welcome to the club. It's going to be hard. It's hard to follow because the times are different. We're not familiar with all the names. It's just confusing. And they're so
0: close. I mean Rehoboam and Jeroboam are already close and they both have a son with the exact same name. Um, So uh, it gets a little bit weird as we go
1: yeah but you know maybe make a chart or something like that when i did this when i studied this a couple years ago i had like a list and i had the northern kingdom and i would list the name and how long they ruled and kind of what they were known for and then in a different column i had the southern kingdom so that wouldn't hurt to do to help you organize and understand
0: yeah. And eventually the Northern kingdom is going to fall. So it'll, it'll help sorts itself out eventually. as that goes. Uh, and so Rehoboam, uh, secures his kingdom up. Uh, he, he gets Judah and Benjamin basically and, um, fortifies the lands. He puts a bunch of installments in, um, and the priests that, um, really don't have a job once Jeroboam sets up shop because Jeroboam puts the the calves in uh he he has his own priesthood established to, to worship with the two golden calves and so these levites whose job was primarily at the temple to begin with basically abandoned the 10 tribes to go to judah in jerusalem
1: yeah and then judah in jerusalem is blessed for three years at least because the levites fulfilled that role yeah. in our obedience to god but just coming back to this idea of the kingdom falling apart um it talks early on in, or at the end of chapter 10 about how this being brought about by God that the Lord might fulfill his word. And I think that's it's confusing to understand how the division of Israel would be uh, brought about by God. But I think it brings us back to this idea of perspective and the sovereignty of God. We don't always know what God is doing or why he's doing it, but we know that God is trustworthy. And I think it's good to point out and acknowledge that even the best days under David or the best days under Solomon are completely insufficient compared to what a kingdom is supposed to be and it points us to our need for a better more perfect king to unite us and reign and reign over us at all time and and we have that in Christ so I think it puts in us and probably in Israel even reading about then a longing for a Messiah and a longing for a perfect ruler
0: yep And so uh, we hear a little more about Rehoboam on our end, um, and he's got a bunch of kids and ultimately makes a plan, at least for uh, the Abijah from Judah, not the Abijah from Jeroboam's line, the Abijah from Judah to secede him. And so um, at least there's some wisdom of him trying to set up and give some of his kids power and ultimately have a succession plan.
1: Yeah, but I mean, it's worth acknowledging, like he has lots of wives and concubines. He learned from his father and these he also is disobeying the law about having lots of wives and concubines. Yeah. Oh,
0: yeah. And we're going to see Rehoboam not be so great as the story goes, too. Yeah. And then uh, we jump back to First Kings 13 with Crazy this story. weird story about this man of God who goes to Jeroboam tells him uh, that there's going to be uh, one in in the line of David who's going to raise up. Jeroboam is obviously not happy about that, kind of condemns the man as he points at him, his arm shrivels. But Jeroboam, instead of asking God to for repentance or forgiveness or God to heal his hand. He's like, Hey man of God, can you ask your God basically to fix my hand? And so Jeroboam's showing no sign of repentance in the story at all. Um, and then we're introduced to this old prophet who happens to be there in Bethel and it should be telling, I think, as you're listening to the story that his sons happened to be at the, at this golden calf temple in Bethel that day. Um, so we should almost be questioning this old prophet and his sons of how how positive they might've actually been or not that, that uh, you should have a negative view of them to begin with. The dad hears about the story and decides to go, I'm just recapping just because I know the story has all these weird details. Um, and, uh, he rebukes, um, uh, instead of rebuking his sons for being at the altar that day, instead it seems like the the old prophet is suddenly jealous of this man of God from Judah, and so um, he he goes. He he has probably heard this prophecy that um, that because Jeroboam had asked the 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 man of God to come eat, and he said I can't eat with you. So it seems like this this old prophet has heard that, goes to the guy, says, Hey, um, why don't you come home and eat with me? And the guy initially is like, No. God told me I'm not supposed to stop and eat anything here, um... And then this old prophet's like, uh, yeah, I, but God told me the opposite. And so the old prophet's like, oh, okay. Or the, the the man of God's like, oh, okay. So he goes back and eats. And ultimately this old prophet does have this moment of prophecy saying, look, God told you not to do this. And you did it um, and, and kind of condemns him there. And so then when the man of God leaves and, and goes on this donkey that is provided for him, he ends up getting killed on the way back. Um, and then as people pass by him, there's there's this dead body and between standing between a lion, um, and, and the dead bodies between a lion and this donkey. And so it is this weird story. And, and to me, there's, there's some play out here. Um, so the lion would have represented Judah lines. Absolutely. The, the symbol of the tribe of Judah, um, and the donkey being this, um, pictured of stubbornness and, and the same way that we still think about donkeys. Um, and so it's sort of this question of, of what are you going to follow or obey? Are you going to go, um, Like, like the, 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 all the Levites and the temple and all that, all that's true in the line of David, everything is Mm -hmm. Judah and, and, or you're going to be the donkey or you're going to be the stubborn. It's almost presented as these are the two choices uh, that that are, that are at hand and only that, but, but even the question of, because God said this. And so, um, the prophet's struggle or the the man of God's struggle was God told him one thing. And then immediately as, as soon as someone said, well, maybe God didn't say that, maybe God said something else. Um, he was willing to, to sort of give up and compromise and and be like, oh, okay. And so um, how much do we hold to um, what what is true, what God has initially said, almost how Paul um, in the book of Galatians is like, look, there's the gospel and if you start hearing of a something new this, this even if an angel comes and says it if if it wasn't directly the word of god don't believe it and so um yeah he was willing to 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 listen to this old prophet even though god had already told him somehow directly don't eat and so i think that's presented as part of that question of stubbornness or obedience as well
1: Yeah. And at the end of it, we see that Jeroboam doesn't repent, doesn't try to make things right with the Lord.
0: Yep. Jeroboam is not a great king, but of course, neither is that king in the South either, but we'll get there next week. So let's jump to the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 1 or 11, we'll finish this up. Um, And, uh, and so Paul's still dealing with this craziness of these false apostles or super apostles. Um, As the, he
1: kind of sarcastically calls them.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't think he's genuinely thinking like, oh yeah, Peter's better than me and that must be who he's talking about. No, yeah. he, he's being sarcastic calling whoever these people are super apostles. And so um, and he's frustrated that it seems like the, the Corinthians are so easy, easily uh, swayed by these uh, super apostles that shows up. And, and Paul's there to remind him like, look, like lowly old me. I did take a dime from you guys and lowly me, I preached the gospel clearly, I didn't brag about myself, so he, he just wants to remind them, like even super possible like the idea of super possible he said like look, even Satan can act like an angel of light, like just because they, they seem on the outside amazing be careful because they may not be
1: yeah, I think the false apostles kind of represented everything people want to be. They're charismatic, they're successful, they're wealthy, they're influential.
0: And they're not suffering.
1: Right, they're yeah. not suffering. Circumstances and I think are going well. Even for us today, there is a huge risk of us beginning to follow these teachers because they are everything we want to be. And yet we lose sight of the upside down kingdom in that, our gospel. <laughs> The one we follow is one of sacrifice as we follow in the steps of Christ. It's not easy. And what we do as followers of Christ is very rarely glamorous, but it holds eternal life and it holds an amazing amount of freedom. And so look at yourself, evaluate your own heart. Where are you tempted toward following this false gospel of charismatic, successful, non-suffering truth versus the upside down kingdom of of suffering and service?
0: Yeah. And, and Paul starts getting into this talk about suffering as apostle. And I, When I read this, I definitely read some sort of um, sarcastic undertone to Paul as he starts talking about this as if he say, like, look, like. I know how much you guys admire those egomaniac super apostles who boast about everything all the time. So let me try my hand at boasting. Let me see what you guys think of my boasting. And then Paul goes off on this list of accomplishments and he kind of sets them up. He's like, are they Hebrew? Check. Are are they of Abraham? Am I of Abraham? Check. Servant of Christ? Am I that? Check. And then he's like, okay, have the super apostles, uh, been beaten near death, been lashed five times, shipwrecked, lost at sea, suffering for all these different things. He just goes off on that list. Uh, and even the, the last thing it was like oh even don't forget um not only have i suffered all these things but i've also had all the anxiety of actually trying to oversee all these churches that are just being planted and he's like are did the super apostles have that and 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 obviously the crowd's gonna be like no they haven't gone through all that and and paul kind of makes the point of like look all this suffering makes me more like the savior that we are claiming and and remember he's like even remember how they lowered me out it's like he forgot about the last one he's like remember how they lowered me out of that wall but he connects it to this whole idea of of suffering and that the, the, the God we worship and and who Jesus was and did and the very act of Jesus on the cross is this picture of suffering. It's not about the superstar. It's not about, it's not Caesar as God, it's Jesus as God and it's very upside down. And so um, they seem to be going towards that idea of Caesar as God, the the very idea, not because they're worshiping Caesar, but the idea of success and power and status and removal of suffering and financial uh, wealth and all that kind of stuff. And Paul's like, that doesn't make an apostle. Soul. What makes no possible is Christ likeness.
1: Yeah, it's like these teachers are, these false teachers are coming and being like, look at Paul, you want to be like him? Or look at me, do you yeah, want to be like me? 100%. Be like me because look at Paul, he's a hot mess and he suffers and all this stuff. And Paul is like, listen, when I suffer, I am unified with Christ. I suffered, and Christ suffered, and Christ's most shameful moment on the cross led to our salvation. And Paul's most difficult and shameful experiences oftentimes display the power of God. Uh, So our suffering puts us in positions where we can see God's faithfulness and God's at work in ways that will not happen if we do not suffer or struggle.
0: Yeah. And Paul almost talks about uh, kind of about two sides of his mouth here. Cause Paul's like, you want something that wasn't humiliating? He's like, I'll give you one. And then he kind of speaks a little bit in third person here. It's like, I know a guy about 14 years ago and God gave this crazy vision of paradise. And, and he's like, and he's like, I I, so, I, I couldn't even tell you about it because it was so amazing. Um, and it seems like he's certainly connecting the story to himself and, 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 but he turns around and say, look, I, I, but I'm not going to boast in that. Like, and, and if anything. I've had such amazing experiences that I could be prideful, but God has ultimately kept me humble. He's given me this thorn. He's given me something that he's suffering with um, to remind him that God's grace is sufficient and that power is ultimately portrayed through weakness and not through strength and position and title and all these kind of things. It's such a good perspective. I think that Paul's unpacking for his people.
1: Yeah. I mean, and to believe that God's power is made perfect in our weakness I mean, it's unexplainable. It's hard to, it's paradigm shifting, but like it's hard to understand that the power of Christ will rest on us because we are weak and that is going to produce contentment in us. There's so much. Um, So we are invited to embrace and celebrate in things where we are weak in areas that we are humbled because that's where we see the power and the glory and the faithfulness of God, because you cannot make much of Paul in some of his circumstances. So then you make much of his God. And it's the same with us where I am weak. You cannot make much of me, but I pray that you can make much of my God in those circumstances.
0: Yeah. It's definitely, um, such a, such a unique perspective from Paul to, to, kind of say like, look, the, that that God would almost give these maybe struggles or circumstances or maybe peripheral things, maybe it's a health issue, whatever it is, in order to, to in some way sanctify us. And for Paul, it's like, look, I, my pride, my conceit would have taken over me if God didn't provide this for me. And the world may think it's, it's, suffering and awful and all these things but Paul's turning that in his perspective to say like look this is God making sure that I'm more like Christ even if it involves this thorn this thorn that that he has
1: yeah it's an interesting thinking about the power of God too because we think oh do you want power you go to some sort of rally and have someone pray the power of God on you or something but Paul is saying here if you want power be real weak and suffer and be humbled and that's where you see the power of God so
0: counter the story of this world yeah Um, and Paul still has this concern for the church and kind of Paul reminds him in this next visit that's still coming up and, um, he's still dealing with the rumors. He's worried that people are going to accuse him of, of this money. Even if Titus takes it, um, he's defending himself against these super apostles, but it really feels like Paul thinks that when he comes back to these Corinthians, that Maybe nothing will end up changing. That'll be awful. That there'll still be fights and jealousy and anger and selfishness. It, it it's weird. He sort of finishes this book, kind of not very hopeful in this moment. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it feels really raw. I think he's I think he's starting to maybe feel some of his heartbreak over the Corinthians. Uh, he's afraid he's gonna. Going to visit, and then he's going to be rejected and shamed again by the people who he has given so much of himself to. He's opened his heart wide to them. Um, he sees the Corinthians as his children and wants to be their parent. But what will he find? Will they accept him? Will they accept the gospel he preaches, or will they have continued to reject him and followed false teaching and practiced sinful behaviors? And let's turn those questions back around on us what kind of changes do we make when we read these letters of paul to the church when we read the bible do we read them and move on or are we convicted to change as we study god's word are we expecting more from the corinthians than we are expecting of ourselves in studying this book
0: yeah and i think that's that's kind of where paul wraps up with them he, he kind of writes them saying like look like I I hope this letter kind of leaves you with grief again. Like I I hope, I hope what I've just said and how I've just confronted you that, that something changes in you before I come. And um, it's worked before for him. And I think he's hoping for that again, that they would seriously examine their own faith. And if they really believe in Jesus, that they would accept Paul. And so, um, yeah, I think that is the question constantly on the table. It's like, it's, it's a good thing. And Paul actually portrays it as a good thing to read the words of God and to feel uncomfortable and convicted by them, mm-hmm. and and Paul's like that's that's grace in your life that you would do that, and and it stinks that it sometimes requires that, and even Paul would say like, I, I was sad that that it made you grieve that way, but at the same time like the, it's a better end, and the 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 ends is what matters, not the means, and if the means causes you to 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 suffer a bit, to, to be uncomfortable, to have to change your life, to do all those sort of things, the ends are so much more rich than that. And so, um, as we read through Paul, as we read through any of these scripture passages that, that probably push us to be more like Christ, that that we would be just like the church in Corinth, just like Paul's hope for the church in Corinth, that we would grieve, repent, and ultimately find more life, more zeal on the other side.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, gospel love does not overlook sin, but it calls it out because of love and it calls the wayward believer back into holiness and obedience. Paul was willing to suffer and lose so much regarding his relationship with his church because he treasured Christ and he treasured obedience to Christ above all else.
0: Yep. Uh, Any final thoughts on 2 Corinthians?
1: Uh, Yeah, I have a few. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um,
1: I think two main things. I think there's a lot... There's just such wealth in here of learning what it truly means to follow Christ. And I think the biggest idea to me that I saw throughout the book was this idea of suffering and how we don't lose heart when we suffer. We live to heaven um, and we embrace suffering here on earth because it puts on full display the power of Christ. And this is the paradox of the gospel. While the rest of the world seeks comfort and ease and avoids suffering at all costs, we as believers receive godly suffering with open arms because we know the power of Christ rests on us. And then we can walk by faith and not by sight. Trusting that this Holy Spirit, which we have a deposit, is a guarantee of what's to come in the future. And then the other one is just this idea of generosity. He devotes so much time talking about it, and I mentioned it last week. Uh, I was really convicted around what generosity looks like for me and for our family, and so it's something I need to continue to explore and just lay before the Lord.
0: Yeah. And on my end, I think maybe the pastoral side, this letter kind of hit me and struck me like, even though it kind of ended with some harshness, like Paul constantly has this pastoral side through this whole letter. And, um, I mean, I've been really blessed to pastor a church that has not had the harsh moments that Paul's experienced or the harsh moments that I hear from other pastoral friends, but it doesn't mean it's not without sort of frustrations and at times heartache or feeling of hurt or betrayal or abandonment. And and yet Paul's willing to constantly pursue this church and willing to, to almost lay down his life for this church in, in ways that he's reminding them like, look, I love you. It's been hard, but I love you. And, and I would I would still fight and I still brag about you to Titus or to other people. Um, and I can understand that. Like, I mean, we've had people even leave resonate poorly, but I would gladly accept them back. And I would gladly write a letter of recommendation or genuinely wish them well. And so, um, like I, I get Paul's, Paul's struggle here and, and, and even I kind of love his conviction around some of this with this church that has been a headache and a mess and a strife for him. And yet his, it's, it is in some ways convicting his continued pursuit and love for this group.
1: It makes me think of when Paul says, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls.
0: Yeah, for real. Psalm 73.
1: Um, this psalm is awesome. I just, I think you get to watch this whole process that Asaph goes through where he's like, I looked at the wicked and I envied them. And then he kind of lists off why he envied them and what he didn't understand. And then he's like, so to go find understanding, I went to the sanctuary of God. He went to the Lord and then he discerned their true end. And then because of that, because he spent time with the Lord and confessed his envy, he was able to kind of end the Psalm by saying, who have I in heaven but you? There's nobody I desire but you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but you, O Lord, are the strength of my my heart and my portion forever yeah so good
0: yeah some call this uh, the center of the psalms um and it's interesting because um as you said that sarah because uh, some take the perspective that the psalms provides um basically a, a a temple uh for those who don't have a temple that that encountering the psalms is like walking into the temple um which is a super interesting take i think tim, tim mackie actually has a video on that take on psalms mm-hmm. um but um if that's true, then um, this this psalm, which some people consider the center psalms, is that perspective yeah. of of come to this book, come into this place. Because I mean, if David wrote it, guess what? They don't have right now a sanctuary. He didn't build it; it's not done, and so um, he's got to use this metaphorical idea of the sanctuary. And so um, I think the same is true, and and this idea of like, look, I've, I've chased after these things, I've gone after these, things. I want other these things, but but it's really where God helped. Hold my right hand and 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 bring me in, and I encounter that in the sanctuary. I encounter that with God. That 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 everything that was true and right. Um, I finally had right perspective, and I understood that God was true and, and enough. And so it's such a it's such a beautiful psalm. Yeah, so Psalm fourteen.
1: Yeah, I think we just we see a comparison of the foolish and the righteous, and the fool denies God and takes advantage of people, and the Lord is with the righteous, who oftentimes are the poor.
0: Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. It's not the most complicated Psalm. Um, It does have a missing text a little bit after verse three that some other like Dead Sea Scrolls and and Septuagint and others have in them uh, that Paul actually will go on to to quote in Romans three. Uh, So it's unique uh, in that. But uh, other than that, yeah, it's a pretty straightforward Psalm. So uh, you're halfway done. End of week fifty two. Congratulations! And so, um, if you've been with us for this first year, uh, yeah, congratulations! I'm glad you uh, stuck it out with us, um, and we are looking forward to another year of walking with you guys through this Bible.
1: I I'm loving doing this. Yeah, it's. I it's, feel like I'm learning so much in a way that is shifting. I think perspective for me in ways that it has that I haven't experienced in studying the Bible
0: before. Yeah yeah, I almost want to play a Paul thing being like, I, I want you guys to continue this because you love reading the Bible, but also Sarah and I put in a lot of work and it would be, <laughs> be awesome if you keep doing this That's with true. us. So, um, yeah, but, uh, yeah, so, uh, we look forward to it and we're going to get into fun books like Romans. We're going to deal with all the prophets in the second year, which will be, uh, I am looking forward to, I think some of the prophets are the least read and yet, uh, some of the most interesting. And so, um, yeah.
1: Yeah. So next week, though, um, we're going to read more about kings. Compare and contrast the kings. Uh, The authors will be like, so-and-so did this, which was good in the eyes of the Lord, and this, which was bad in the eyes of the Lord. So what are they praised for and what are they condemned for? Um, And then in the New Testament... Gosh, you guys, there is so much in Romans. So start out with kind of an overview. It's really important to understand the historical context of what's going on in Romans, what churches are there, the Jews versus the Gentiles, and how their church is growing, and even Paul's relationship with the Romans. Has he been there before? Has he not? And I think you're going to see... I kind of want to say a different side to Paul as you read the book of Romans. It's it's very, it's very a different kind of letter than than what we've read you yeah, know, or been in, it, to the it's Corinthians. It's extremely
0: different than the Corinthians. So, yeah,
1: yeah. so a strong foundation and understanding of what's going on in the context of Romans is really important for us as we read it. So spend some extra time figuring that out this week.
0: Yeah, and it's a pretty fast uh, downward fall of these kings uh, and what they're doing. Um, but as we jump from Kings to Chronicles, I mean, this is... Where these books start taking very different tones. Um, because they're they're telling different stories from different perspectives. And not only that, but all these stories are about these two different kingdoms. And so, um, they're taking different perspectives on the stories because of that, or telling certain parts of the story. Um, so just be mindful of that even more as we read that that Kings is, is really written from a southern perspective, a chronicles from a northern and then um, And then as we get to the New Testament, uh, that that we would, in this intro, start following Paul's argument. He starts talking about the Jews, He starts talking about the Gentiles and what they're accountable for, different reasons why the gospel is good news or bad news based upon what they know and what they've heard. And and ultimately, um, yeah, uh, when it comes to law or the laws of nature, all that kind of stuff. So um, he's setting this up to eventually draw both crowds together around Jesus. And so um, it's, it's a really interesting setup It's just follow kind of the, the, the Jew versus or the Jew and slash Gentile uh, arguments Paul's making here. So thanks y'all.
1: Thank you.